Just before I begin this morning, uh, I just need to make sure I recognize uh, two pastors that are in our congregation this morning um, <laughs> that I've known for quite a long time. Uh, one is uh, Pastor Marroquin from the Spanish Church. He's here on his day off, <laughs> so welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to have you. We went to school together. We went to seminary together many, many years. Welcome to him and his lovely family. And uh, someone who was uh, instrumental in my youth, Pastor Park, who uh, comes and visits us often. Hi, Pastor Park. He um, inspired me when I was in high school, even though I didn't know I was going to be a pastor at the time. Uh, but uh, we did day camp together. Remember that? <laughs> he let me drive one of his fancy cars. <laughs> so <laughs> good times. So thank you. He visits us often, and I'm grateful to see you guys here this morning. <clears throat> so let's admit that we live in turbulent times, and that our world is the most polarized that it's ever been. Here in our country, Democrats and Republicans, right? Whose side are you on? Impeach, not impeach, not only on this side, but across the pond, Brexit or the EU. In the Middle East, Palestinians versus Israel, in all manner of ways, we live in a very polarized society. All across parts of regions of our, of our country, of our denomination, everyone is at odds. And yet, across the vastness of the world, and the vastness especially of the world wide web, there is one thing that unites us all. Only one thing that everyone agrees on. And that is, Baby Yoda is adorable. No one can deny the charms of Baby Yoda. <clears throat> At least according to uh, um, the, uh, the internet and its vast polls, uh, Baby Yoda, uh, actually, let me correct that, the child, sorry, <laughs> we have a few fans here, the child, um, has uh, drawn such an interest, it has um, almost single-handedly propelled one of the newest streaming services to the top of the list. This is if you were fortunate enough to have Disney Plus and the show um, that Baby Yoda debuts in called The Mandalorian. He's cute though, right? So cute. Look at his ears. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> in any case, <laughs> uh, the... The, the, the show, these uh, live action, one of the most uh, streamed live action series called The Mandalorian, focuses on not just Baby Yoda, although it's part of the plot. Uh, I don't want to give any spoilers, alert, but it's about essentially uh, a bounty hunter called The Mandalorian. He has a name, but who cares? Uh, we call him The Mandalorian, who lives by a code and a creed um, from his ancestors. And what's interesting, if, you, if, you've, if you've seen the show, if you watch the show, or, or maybe you have just read about it, um, this code that they live by is something that they call upon when difficult decisions have to be made. And oftentimes, when a sacrifice becomes necessary, they rely on this code. It's, and they say it to each other. They say, this is the way. This is the way. And when I heard that the first time, yes, I, I did watch The Mandalorian. When I heard that the first time, I was struck. But how? <laughs> Everything in our popular culture is inspired by the only one true original work, the Word of God, the Bible. This is the way. 
you'll recognize the phrase as almost familiar to us. And the reason for that is because long before we were called Christians, we, those who followed the, the example of the anointed one, the Christ, we called ourselves the way. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul refers to himself as a new believer in Christ, uh, as a follower of the way. It was, it, it was uh, how others um, called early Christians. Before they were called Christians, they were called the way, a sect, you know, a, a segment of people who are like fanatical about following this person, the Christ. But before they called them Christians, we called them the way. And part of the reason for that is because, as Pastor Kayla read to us, familiarly from John chapter 14, Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, I'm about to leave. You'll remember this. We read it last week. If you were here, if you're not, I'm catching you up. I'm going to go quickly because I'm excited. Um, uh, Jesus says, I'm about to leave, but don't worry. Later you will come and you'll join me. And you know the way. His disciples respond, you know, Thomas. He's like, we don't know the way. How are we going to follow you if we don't know the way? And Jesus says, I am. Okay, church family, you've been in church long enough. Come on now. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is from John chapter 14. Pastor Kayla read it to us last week. It's a fantastic, fantastic verse known throughout, and as you can see, it influences far beyond religion. <laughs> um, no one comes to the Father except through me, but Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Historians tell us that quite possibly, based on that particular statement, those that then followed in Jesus' footsteps were comfortable referring to themselves as the way, followers of the way. And that's what we're going to focus on this week. We're beginning a new series for the month of uh, February, and I want you to journey with me all along. We're going to be in the book of John. This is a special, fantastic gospel, and we are going to especially look at what it means when Jesus says, this is the way. Would you please open your Bibles, if you could, and uh, find the book of John. Um, up there in the booth, can you guys bring up the lights a little bit? I want to make sure I hear some pages rustling. I know some of you guys are on your devices, which is totally fine. But in case you're using the, the page, I'll, I'll confess, my Bible, this between us, right, stays in the room? Yeah. I've had my Bible for, for many years, and lately, when I'm up here, I can't read it because the print is too small. <laughs> so, so I've got big print on my iPad. Uh, I want to keep using my Bible, but I need to get a uh, you know, large print and a little pride in me just won't let me buy it. <laughs> so, um, but here on the iPad, I just stretch it. So John chapter 1. Are you there? You're with me? Okay. A couple of weeks ago, we began reading this beautiful, beautiful uh, writing uh, of the gospel of John. And I mentioned to you, I'm just going to catch up as we begin our series, that, that this gospel is written much later than the others. It's still a first-hand account, but it's written later because it's, it's written in retrospection. After things have happened, after seasons had come and gone, the, the, the author of the book thinks about the scenario and realizes and is inspired by God to know that there are gaps missing. Something is missing. And so he writes this gospel to give us a different understanding of the person of the Christ. That's why in the very first few verses, which I read to you a couple of weeks ago, John sets the course by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, what John is trying to do as an author of this book is trying to help us reclaim the elevated position of Jesus. 
the first three Gospels humanize a God. They tell us about the baby Jesus and how he began as a child in the manger and how he grew up as a young boy and how he began in an earthly ministry. They humanize a God. But John is, helps us to understand how to glorify the Christ. So he says he was always God. He is and continues to be. And yet that God became flesh. This is where we're going to pick it up. Again, familiar, John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going to skip a little bit, but read along with me because it's just fabulous what John says. And the word, verse 14, chapter 1, follow along with me. And the, I'm reading the NIV. Feel free to read it in your version. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the original language, that word there, it, it, it's tabernacles. It's, it's, it's uh, tents. Jesus came down and pitched his tent. He moved into the neighborhood. He moved in next door. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace. Verse 16, out of his fullness we have all received grace in the place of the grace that was already given. He's trying to help us to see that as Jesus comes and the life that he lives already told in the first three Gospels is not just an example of an, of an inspiring person, uh, somebody who was maybe, maybe uh, someone you can look up to. No, no, it's the revelation of a God and we need to elevate elevate his position in our lives. So he says, he comes and he reveals grace in place of the way we used to live. He gives us a new one. Verse 18, this is critical. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is God and his closest relationship to him, he has made him known. In your version, it might say he has revealed him, made him known. So Jesus comes to show us the Father. To reveal to us the Father. Amen? It's cool, right? Everybody wants to know God. Jesus says, I will make him known to you. So we continue. Uh, the author here refers to John. John the Baptist describes his, his ministry as preparing the way of Jesus. And then uh, at the close of that, this is also familiar because you would have read it in the other Gospels. Uh, he says that John uh, recognizes Jesus. You remember this from the other Gospels. Jesus comes to be baptized, and when he is coming up out of the water, what happens, family? Anyone? 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 Bueller? Okay, yes. A dove descends. A dove descends, right? The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove as Jesus is coming up out of the baptismal water. A dove descends, and the, heaven, and the heavens speak, and the heavens say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's what we call a confirmation. This is a moment where the heavens speak publicly and say, this is not just another man. This is my son. This is the chosen one, the anointed one. So from that moment on, Jesus is now publicly declared as the anointed one. And in uh, uh, theological circles, we will say this is the beginning of his public ministry. Up until this point, even to his 30s, he was an unknown. Maybe a good person, maybe a kind gentleman, maybe somebody that you would have thought, oh, it's a good guy, but, but not defined in this way. So John recognizes him, he baptizes him, and now John says, all the work that I've been doing is about this person, about this man. So, so let's pick that up, okay? <clears throat> Verse 29, and John, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming, and he said, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was telling you about, John goes on to say. I was baptizing you with water, but he comes to baptize you with something totally different. 
And I saw it, John speaks. I confirm that the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and said, this is the one, this is the chosen one, this is the one that God has sent. The very next day, verse 35, John was there again with two of his disciples. And turning around, he saw Jesus making his way. And he said, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. Now, if you're Jewish, that phrase, the Lamb of God, would have resonated with you. Because throughout time, all the way dating back to the time that they were in Egypt, the Israelites were farmers. As they left, they, they were farmers. They, they, they herded sheep uh, through their journey. But before they left, they had to sacrifice the lamb. You remember the last plague? Yes? Yes? No one? Okay. You didn't see the movie? I always make a reference. No one saw the movie? <laughs> Prince of Egypt. Come on, everybody. Prince of Egypt. You didn't see it? Okay. Go check it out. Um, uh, before the Israelites could leave Egypt, God said, you will slaughter the lamb and you will put the blood on the door frames of your houses and the angel of death will pass over. So it's the blood of the lamb that delivers them and eventually, not only from that night's disaster, but eventually causes them to be delivered from slavery and released to follow God into his holy mountain. So ever since then, that phrase that expressed in the lamb of God represents the one who saves. So here... John says, the one who saves. Behold, look, there's the one who saves, the Lamb of God. So for, for a Jewish person like the people that are, that, that, that are following, and these two disciples that are following John, this is a significant moment. It's what their entire social, spiritual, religious community revolves around. The expectation and the waiting of the anointed one, the saving one. So when John says, there he goes. The Bible tells us that these two, who were his disciples, turned and they began to follow Jesus. Are you there with me? Verse 37, chapter 1. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now, when we read disciples, by this time you've been in church long enough, it's only a word that we use pretty much around churches. No one else, no one else uses the word disciple. Um, but because we use it so frequently, we kind of don't know what it means. Do you know what it means? What's a disciple? A follower, okay? Well, in the original language, the word might be more accurately translated in our, in our language as an, an apprentice. An apprentice. So an apprentice or an intern is not just a follower. In other words, not someone who's like tracking your, move, your movements. It's someone who is trying to learn to do what you do. Um, have you ever had an apprentice or an intern to, at, at your job or your profession? Um, I was mentioning to First Service that many, many uh, career paths have this as part of the process, right? If you're a teacher, you have to go do, do what they call student teaching, right? If you are a, a doctor, you have to be literally an intern, right? Uh, if, if you, uh, many professors, you have to have an apprenticeship that allows you to watch closely someone who's doing something and learn from the way they do it before you are responsible. So uh, a disciple in the original language is not just like a theoretical, hypothetical, I think I follow. It's someone who's literally observing and replicating. Follow? So more like an apprentice. Have you ever had an apprentice? Have you ever had the responsibility of teaching somebody of how to do what you do? Maybe you have. I'm not quite sure. But what we have here when it's described, these disciples, these are two that were apprenticing to John the Baptist. They were following his moves, watching to see what he ate, how he dressed, and they're trying to Live similarly. 
And then Jesus passes by, and they abandon that apprenticeship, and they start following Jesus. Now, when, when you read the word followed here, because we're Christians and in Christian circles, that word also has very little meaning. How many of you guys follow Christ? Everybody, right? Okay, yeah. You, you follow. Even in our own culture, uh, you know, social media makes it possible for you to follow someone. That just basically means you watch what they're doing. You can criticize or not. Or you can just swipe, swipe, swipe. This idea that I'm following. But, but here, in the original language, this actual word, it's not like that. It's not something that's divorced from reality, <laughs> from physical reality. When it says they followed him, it means they literally... You and I would call it stalking. Yeah, <laughs> stalking. They saw Jesus, and they began to stalk him, walk behind him. He was turning, and they followed him. He made his way through. As we encounter Jesus, at least in John's telling, Jesus isn't publicly recruiting. He's not saying, I'm Jesus. Check me out. He's just living his life. But these two guys begin to stalk him, physically follow him. Isn't that interesting? There's a physical reality to what is being described here. And, and so in the original language, they're literally walking behind him. Have you ever been followed that way or, or stalked? Not on Facebook, because I know you all stalk people on Facebook or you've been stalked. On, not, not like that, but literally. Have you ever been driving or walking? Maybe you felt like you were being followed. I know that it doesn't happen so much here, but when we travel abroad, there are often times when you're, you're on a subway and you just have a feeling. Did I? You know, anyone? Yeah, you're just like, you get on a bus and you're like, I don't know, I don't know. This feels strange. Someone is following me. Of course, you're just paranoid. But, um, but if you've ever actually been followed, it's a bit unnerving. I mean, you know, someone is just kind of, you don't know why, you're not quite sure. And that's exactly what's taking place, okay? So they're literally stalking Jesus. They're following behind. They haven't talked to him. <laughs> but Jesus senses them. And the word of God tells us here that he turns around and he says, what? Well, at least that's, I think, what it would be in today's language. He's like, what do you want? But basically, he's like, what? <laughs> Why are you following? What would you say if somebody was following you? <laughs> what would you tell them? <laughs> Take a picture, it lasts longer. Is that right? I know you are going to say that. <laughs> Take a picture, it lasts longer. Why are you staring at me? Why are you, why are you following me? What do you want? A profound question, actually. Why are you doing what you're doing? What do you want? And the Bible tells us here in John chapter 1 that they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, you've probably read this. It doesn't register as audacious or, or, or outlandish, I would say. But imagine if someone was following you. And you didn't know them. And you stopped to confront them and said, what do you want? And they're like, what's your address? <laughs> where do you live? How would you respond? Right? <laughs> Just following. Now they want to know where you live. What kind of motives do they have? Fascinatingly, their culture is different from ours. And for them, Middle Eastern hospitality is very different than the way you and I see each other. Uh, we are strangers, even amongst friends. We live in a world of complete strangers, where we just drive past each other, walk past each other. It's just the world that we exist in. Uh, just, you know, confession time. Some of, you guys are, some of you all are probably wonderful neighbors. I'm not a great neighbor. I'm shy when I get home. My brother's not like me. 
Everybody on the block knows Carlos. I mean, everybody. Uh, you know, I get nervous. I'm a little private when I'm at home. I'm like, I'm scared. And somebody rings on the doorbell, I peek through the hole, and I'm not quite sure. I'm very shy when I'm in my, you know, not on stage. I'm very shy. But I recognize that for most of us, even when we're going, this is just the kind of world that we live in. We live in fear of being known, fear of revealing ourselves or having others reveal themselves to us. So we live isolated lives. So for someone to say, where are you going? Where do you live? For us, it would be unnerving. But notice Jesus' response here. Two men stalking him, and they say, where are you staying? And Jesus' answer is, come and see. Come and you will see. As we begin to try to understand the way, as we begin to try to understand what God wants to give us, and I'm super excited that this series we're going to focus on the book of John and exactly what Jesus does and how he does it. This is pivotal. Jesus says, come and you will see. See, here's what I want you to understand. First thing about the way. It is not theoretical. Following Jesus, being a disciple and an apprentice is not something that you do in theory. That's not what he's offering. He's not offering a course on how to think about, how to ponder, on how to like imagine what it would be like. Jesus is offering a literal, physical, relational, emotional, psychological, in real life experience. That's why he says, come and see. Come and see. Amen? The goal of Jesus is to reveal the Father, right? That's what John says. God with us. To, uh, he has made him known. How does he do that? It's not in theory. It's in reality. Come and see. Where are you staying? What are you doing? Uh, who are you? Jesus says, come and you will see. He invites us in, just like he does them. So we can observe firsthand how he does it, when he does it, with whom he does it, in what manner he does it. He says, come and see. Long before he demands, long before he demands um, faithfulness, Long he bef before he demands that you <clears throat> submit yourself to his leading, he invites you to just come and check it out. Come and see. So Jesus speaks to the disciples of John. And he doesn't say, my way is better. He doesn't make any statements. He doesn't make any condemnations. What you're doing wasn't good enough. No, he just says, if you want to know, just follow me around. Come and see. The Bible tells us this, verse 39, when Jesus replied, come and see, that those two men had a choice to make. The invitation was come. Come and see. If you're interested, come and see. And the Bible tells us this, and I love it. The Bible says, John chapter 1, verse 39, read it for yourself. He says, and they went and saw where he was staying or sleeping or living, and they spent the day with him. They spent the day with him. Jesus' invitation is one that is expressed in time. Let me repeat that. Jesus' invitation is one that is expressed in time. 
His invitation for us as he reveals God is that it will not happen unless you spend time with him. Amen? Spending the day. They're like, where do you live? How do you do it? What are you up to? He says, let's spend the day together. I love that because Jesus is describing how things get revealed. They require time. Have you ever met someone and just felt like, from the moment you met him, I've heard people say this all the time, I feel like I'm, I've known him all my life. You ever that one? Oh, we, when we first met, sometimes I'm doing counseling, oh, when we first met, oh, I just do. I met, I'm like, yeah, wait a few years. I know because when I meet them a few years, they're like, that's not the person I thought they were, you know. People change, right? People change. Even those you think you know will not be the same person they are today. Everything gets revealed in time because you and I exist in time. Sad but true. It is sad when you're older. <laughs> when you're younger, you want time to speed up. When you're older, you're like, oh, pump the brakes, right, guys? Yes, yes. Slow down. Time. Time is precious, and we exist in time, and there's limited supply. Jesus says, spend the day with me. Spend the day with me. I have three wonderful kids. One of them, who shall remain nameless, is very clear, was very clear early on that um, this child's love language, if you know about the five love languages, is quality time. Quality time. Gifts are appreciated, sure, even words of affirmation, acts of service. But with this child, <laughs> I'm trying not to give it away. <laughs> I'm trying not to give it away. <laughs> but what this child craves the most is quality time. Just time together, listening, uh, just to know that they matter. Quality time. It's, 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 a, it's a love language. And when you spend quality time with someone, you begin to have a sense, a fuller sense of who they are, what their capacity is, and how they do their life. It's much more difficult to learn from someone you never spend time with, right? And the more time you spend with someone, the more clearly you'll be able to understand how it is that they do what they do. That's why some of the most difficult professions require long and intense, time-intensive apprenticeship. How long does a surgeon need? to apprentice before he's allowed to perform surgery on your body. <laughs> a three-week course, <laughs> would that be enough? <laughs> a couple of Sabbaths a year, good enough? No, right? You want that person to have, you know, gone over and over, <laughs> several, uh, several certifications and more training, more training before you let them operate because you want them to have learned and, and, and carefully developed their craft. And so God says here, as he reveals himself through Jesus, if you want to know the way, we have to spend the day. I like that. If you want to know the way, we have to spend the day. Spending time together. By the way, gents, public service announcement. Some of your significant ladies, quality time is also their love language. So if you bring home a box of chocolates and some flowers, it may not get you anywhere. But if you sit across the table from them and listen... Hmm, that might work. So just take it or leave it, right? Take it or leave it. <clears throat> the invitation Jesus makes here as he's developing this, this relationship with humanity is he's saying, I have come to, to give you time. 
Spend the day with me. So the question I have for you is, who are you spending the day with? Think carefully. Who are you spending the day with? Where's your time go? Yes, I know. We live in California. We live in America. Your number one time is work, even more than sleep, right? You sleep like five and a half hours. You work 14. That's the American way. Work, 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 work. That's why people say, I have a work husband and a work wife. <laughs> you, you have so much time with these people. They're basically, you're married to them, but they're not really your husband and wife. It's work. Sleep. Entertainment. <laughs> you know, uh, Apple's fascinating. They send you a weekly report of screen time. And in it, anybody who's Apple, in it, it details what kind of screen time. They were surfing. Social media, streaming, it tells you right there. And you're like, I don't want to see that. I don't want to know. But maybe I should look a little closer. Who are you spending the day with? Because whoever you're spending the day with, that's who you are apprenticing. That's whose disciple you're becoming. Whoever you're spending the day with, that's who you're learning how to do your life. Think carefully. Perhaps... Perhaps there's someone that you need to be learning from, or maybe there's someone who needs to be learning from you. The next question I have for you is, who's watching? Who's watching? You see, in Jesus' invitation, come and see, he invites us to the first step. But you know what's going to happen in John 14 and 15. He's going to say, now I'm gone. Now you, now you have to show them. And the world will know you're my disciples because you have been with me. And if you love one another, so go and be my witnesses. You know all this. So Jesus gives us his time, and then he challenges us to give our time. So that's the question I have. Who's watching? Because somebody's watching. Somebody that you're spending time with is learning from the way you do life how they're going to do life. Yes, it might be your child. It might be the little one in your house. But it may not be who you think it is. It might be your spouse that's deeply impacted by the way you conduct yourself. It might be an employee or a co-worker or a classmate. But I guarantee you this, somebody's watching. Just like you are watching somebody, somebody is watching you. So who are you following? Who are you apprenticing? And who's learning from you? We can't escape this. Whatever we do reveals that. So Jesus says, come and see, because he wants to reveal himself, but then he invites us to follow in the same footsteps. Again, this isn't theory. God wants an in real life experience. God wants us to come and experience him by spending time with him and for us to recognize that somebody is watching. Somebody is always watching. This is the way. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and help me sing. A song of proclamation as we close our time together. I also invite you to join us every week this, week, this, sab- this, this month. Uh, all five Sabbaths, we're going to be studying the book of John. And feel free to invite others and be a part of our conversation here.